Welcome back to The Plunge, folks, where we cover all the news that's shit to print. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the show on iTunes. Follow and tweet at us at plunge underscore podcast on Twitter. And tell your friends, family members, colleagues, and worst enemies about the show. This week, we're getting in a few takes on the Supreme Court Justice nominee, Brett Kavanaugh, before even more ignoble details emerge about his disgusting sexual proclivities. We also have some Trump hurricane takes to explore, as well as a story about our home county's racist ex-sheriff, Michael Saudino. In pop culture, we're reviewing Michael Moore's Fahrenheit 11.9 and Panos Cosmatis' Mandy, starring Nicolas Cage. We'll also mention the persistence of dull liberals on the silver screen, from homophobic scowler Alec Baldwin on SNL to the TV adaptation of Amy Klovick's 2016 campaign tale, Chasing Hillary. For story time, Dan and I will tell you about our earliest intellectual forays into the world of politics in our high school U.S. government class. We have all that and more for you here on your favorite scenic tour through America's political sewer. This is The Plunge. It's the deep breath before the plunge. <laughs> Hey everyone, it's The Plunge. We're the only podcast hosted entirely by Russian bots. I'm Dan Spaventa, and my co-host is... Another Russian bot, Sam Wagstaff. (laughs) Now... We have a lot to get to today, and I'm excited personally because you are finally back from Jamaica. Sam, do you have any any wisdom from the trip? Uh, like too much, but it's like when Moses went up uh, and got the word of God and came down. He's like 30 years older and he couldn't relate it to other people. Or I'm also like the star child at the end of Space Odyssey where like it's taken in so much technology that like it's not comprehensible to human beings. There you have it, folks. All right. The president, his penis is weird. (laughs) News flash. (laughs) This was a huge story last week. Or two weeks ago. I don't even know. I feel like I've known the whole time that Trump had a shrimpy dick, but... There was a lot of speculation, though. I mean, there were a lot of theories floating around there, like the, uh, I guess, uh, like, manicotti or, like, frosting bag half-filled. I mean, we we didn't know exactly, but we knew it was fucked up down there. Yeah, like a little piece of, like, penne a la vodka. (laughs) Just... (laughs) Exactly. So, Stormy Daniels came out in her new book which like we said every person in this whole orbit of the trump world and liberals now they are all writing their books they are all on the new york times bestseller lists because we are a bunch of fucking idiots it's the grift, Dan. All of this is a grift. The politicians are doing it for a grift, and all of their like little Remora-like parasites around them are all in it for the same fucking reason. So Stormy writes in this passage in her book that Trump's dick looks like Toad from Mario Kart. Everyone's heard this already. We've seen the memes. I don't want to harp on Toad too much. 
Uh, she also said that he has Yeti pubes, which, I mean, again, like, you could have told me. I, I, I could have guessed that his pubes look weird. I would be shocked if Donald Trump has ever shaved his pubes. <laughs> yeah, what if she was like, oh, he had just, like, a really well-kept uh, pubic hair. He was very clean under there. Like, that would be fucking shocking. One thing that did surprise me about this passage, though, was that she seemed to say that the sex was not very good. That's not surprising. You're surprised by that? Well, because she'd previously, her accounts indicated that it was good sex, even though he was a she, little, like... She previously said it wasn't bad, which okay. is not exactly <laughs> a glowing recommendation. I'm sure plenty of women have fucked a powerful man before and been like, yeah, it wasn't that bad. <laughs> okay, and I saw in passing, just to wrap this section up... Did he have Ben Roethlisberger walk her back to her hotel room after? <laughs> yeah, he did that with the other, with the same lady, the other lady the who Karen he McDougal. fucked that weekend. The Karen McDoodle, exactly. Um, it was the same scenario where he had this guy just like, you imagine that's like your lot in life is you have to like walk like these like women who've been like fucked by like just a fucking disgusting old man back to their uh, like sleeping quarters, I guess. Well, Roethlisberger has a shady past as well, but that's a conversation for another time. Sure. The hurricane in Puerto Rico, obviously nothing short of a genocide, and Trump has been using the sort of language that a genocidal dictator would use. Do you agree with that, Sam? No, I totally agree. I uh, we're referring to like this thing Trump said. He tweeted it out, of course, about uh, how he basically was saying that the figure, the you know, three thousand plus death toll that has been reported in Puerto Rico as a result of the negligence of the Trump administration in responding to Hurricane Maria, he said that that's entirely made up. He said it was like at most fifteen or sixteen people. It's a just. It's despicable because I genuinely think this is one of the worst things that Trump has ever said, if not the worst one. Are we on the same page about this? Do you think that's unreasonable? It's an erasure of these American citizens' lives. Like, they died because of a lack of action from his administration. I mean... <laughs> right. Again, it's nothing short of a genocide. It's a 9-11... In terms of numbers, it's 9-11-esque. I think it's so fucking heinous because we talked about previously how like Mark Zuckerberg didn't think it was a big deal that Holocaust deniers are presenting an alternate vision for what happened during the Holocaust because he's an idiot and he doesn't realize that like they don't say those things for no reason. They say them because they want to minimize the Jewish experience and they want to create the pretext for why they should subjugate, be able to subjugate Jews further. But nor do they say that in good faith ever. Exactly. Right. And and here is like a clear example. I mean, this is basically Holocaust, not the same as denying the Holocaust because those are two different things. But obviously, it's like the same idea where he's denying this violence that his administration wreaked against a people for political reasons. He's doing this so he can continue to avoid scrutiny over the shady deals that they did in Puerto Rico, selling out, you know, giving away massive contracts to like companies that had three people in them. And they were tasked with like re-electrifying an entire island. I mean... It's absolutely one of the worst things that he's ever said, I think. I think one of the biggest challenges moving forward is obviously like rebuilding Puerto Rico, but reversing this sort of, I don't know, fucking like revisionist thinking from the most powerful people in the country. Like, it is strange how they're, to my 
knowledge was very little pushback from fucking Republicans when Trump said this. No, I mean, this got swept, swept under the rug just the way that I think most issues with, I guess, Puerto Rico have gotten swept under the rug. I think that it's, people still underestimate how fucking ridiculous the uh, damage is and how high the death toll is and how absurd it is that something like this happened on Trump's watch. I mean, like you said, and many people have died in Puerto Rico as died in the 9-11 attacks, and uh, it's treated completely differently. And it's even though it's just it's absurdly bad. It's three times the what like three times the death toll of Hurricane Katrina. Not to compare hurricanes here, but uh, either way, it's awful. We have to, and pe- more people should pay attention to when Trump says stuff that's like actually awful like that. That's really kind of on a different level from his usual pestilence. Uh, speaking of Trump's usual pestilence, I mean, he had just the stupidest take I've ever seen on what Hurricane Florence, which recently hit North Carolina. He basically said, we can play the audio, but I'm tr- to paraphrase, he was like, this is the wettest storm we've ever seen in terms of water. Yes! What the fuck? I just want to thank all of the incredible men and women who have done such a great job in helping with Florence. This is a tough hurricane. One of the wettest we've ever seen from the standpoint of water. <laughs> what do you mean? What kind of measure? Of course it's wet. It's a hurricane. <laughs> it's rain! Also, what other measure for wetness is there than the amount of water? It's literally the adjective for when something is covered in water. Sam, I personally love my big, large adult president's syphilitic rotting brain. <laughs> I mean, at least if he's going to be out here denying the violence that he's wreaked against uh, people in the Caribbean islands, then I guess he might as well be out here giving us something to laugh about, <laughs> as bleak as that sounds. <sighs> so, Brett Kavanaugh, rapist, Supreme Court, alleged, but let's be real, folks. He did it. He, he fucking did it. This woman is extremely credible. This allegation is extremely credible. She's passed a polygraph test. I mean, no, this is not like just some random fucking shit. This has been corroborated by most of the tests that are applied in this sort of situation. To start, Brett Kavanaugh is from this inexplicable place near you, Sam, called yeah. Chevy Chase, Maryland. Hell yeah. Can you speak a little bit about this this these lands <laughs> the name chevy chase is uh derived from like old french it has like no relation to the racist actor chevy chase who was wasn't he recently out here saying like people only think donald glover is funny because he's black or something like he's just a racist asshole yeah you know read that washington post profile that came out a week or two ago and I don't know. I felt a little bit of like begrudging sympathy towards him. I don't know. <laughs> Chevy Chase is just like completely torpedoed his own career by being an utter asshole. I I guess you can have some bizarre sympathy for that, but 
Either way, Chevy Chase, Maryland is like a it's a suburb of D.C. It's like one of the first neighborhoods in Maryland outside of Northwest D.C., which uh, I think we previously discussed Northwest D.C. when we talked about Comet Ping Pong, whatever the Pizzagate restaurant in Northwest D.C. This area is where like a ton of you know people who are going to work in D.C. are from. A lot of people who currently work there. A lot of people who are going to have kids who grow up to become awful Supreme Court justices like Brett Kavanaugh will probably become. And specifically, the school that he went to, Georgetown Prep, is one of these like mills for just the most despicable kind of like lanyard establishment types. Not to mention Neil Gorsuch. Oh, yeah, baby. And, uh, he yeah. went to the same uh, school. Founding member. I'm sure they were in the fascism forever party together as proud compatriots. But either way, uh, we've got this allegation against Kavanaugh and... This is definitely a time where you get to see people's true colors. There's two main schools of thought in the Kavanaugh apologist school or crowd. There's the it never happened crowd. And then there's the it doesn't matter crowd. So let's start with the first it never happened crowd people. Talk about the doppelganger theory. It doesn't make any sense. (laughs) No, no, absolutely not. This is just like Alex Jones level conspiracy theory. So this comes from Ed Whelan, who is like an executive in like a non in a, in a think tank called the Ethics and Public Policy Center. <laughs> Everything with a name like that is just like code for. It's absolutely the worst thing you can think of. It's uh, the Ethics and Policy Center is Washington D.C.'s premier institute applying the Judeo-Christian moral tradition to critical issues of public policy. So clearly, again, this is not someone who's arguing in good faith. This is someone who wants, like Brett Kavanaugh, to you know approve Donald Trump's tax plan to just make all taxes based on like the biblical tithe uh, to make like abortion a punishable crime by death. It's just about this absurd theocratic fucking way of living. I think it's so telling that this uh, Whelan character is one of these hyper-religious people because it makes so much sense, right? Because they just like can't believe women ever no absolutely not it's to the point that they have uh, this guy invented a half-baked theory that the person who committed the assault against dr ford was someone who was looked like brett kavanaugh and uh was in the same circles but she just missed she just couldn't tell who it was she thought it was brett kavanaugh it was this other guy big you know funny coincidence when of course she knew who Brett Kavanaugh was before the assault, as is the case with many assaults of this nature. So it's not like she was mistaken. Like, she knew the guy beforehand. It's not like she had met him once or twice. Like, they were classmates. Like, he, she knew exactly what, who was in the room with her and who committed this assault. Exactly. And the idea that Ed Whelan clipped together these, like, yearbook photos in his Twitter thread. Yes. And used Google Maps. <laughs> right. Can you explain the Google Maps usage here? Wait, I, I need to pull up the actual thread. Uh, I think all we have here is the his apology for it, which is, which is ridiculous. <laughs> it's his pinned tweet. And he's like, I'm sorry, I, uh, I really kind of fucked up. And uh, he did name Kavanaugh's Georgetown prep classmate, who they, he like basically accused as being like the doppelganger. I think this is all like blown up in his face as well. 
That's a serious allegation to just throw around based on the fact that the guy had the same fucking haircut as Brett Kavanaugh. Yeah. Also, like, that's a you know what? This is a stupid excuse. Everyone, every white man at Georgetown Prep looks identical. Everyone in this, <laughs> every white man in this fucking town looks identical. They just look like identical pencil pushing, like lily livered pieces of shit. Honestly, like, just genuinely. It looks like their hair is, like, grown using Monsanto seeds or something to have, like, the perfect part line. I mean, they're just, they're absolutely indistinguishable from one another. So, I mean, like, I guess maybe that planted the seed in this guy's head of, like, this brilliant defense. But uh, specifically, I mean, going back to, like, what you said, the Google Maps application was that he argued that, like, the houses were too far away for all this to have happened. And uh, it is obviously this one house, which he then like gives the like address of uh, and gives us Google street view of, of course the jokes on him again. Also every t- house in the like DC suburbs looks identical. Like they're all the stupid, like McMansion cookie cutter, like houses that come in boxes. So like, again, like you're, you're just arguing that everyone in the DC area looks the same, which is, I guess, true but i don't think she wouldn't be able to tell it was brett kavanaugh especially if it was someone who grew up in this area knows that everything looks identical and knows they have to look for like specific identifiers to tell people apart because they all look like they came out of a pod together i guess also important to note brett kavanaugh himself is in this camp he has flatly denied the allegation yeah absolutely he's been clinging to that line hard well, I wanted to bring up the fact that he, just before we started recording, released his personal calendar from the 1980s that didn't oh, have, like, on. I, like, didn't say, like, Brett raped this woman oh my God. on this day. And he thinks that exonerates him. Like, oh my. the party is not in my personal calendar. Jesus what? Christ. <laughs> Doesn't mean you could, I, yeah, obviously it could have ended up there even if it wasn't his intention but i I mean once again this kind of like shows they're really grasping at straws with this i mean the washington post basically published the ed whelan theory in an op-ed written by this lady kathleen parker and it's absurd i mean like they're they're grasping at like the fucking wispiest straws yeah and i think this speaks to the need of the press to feel objective by you know, this sort of, like, equal time mindset. I don't know, maybe you shouldn't be lending your ink to the idea that this doppelganger theory... It's so disingenuous, too, because like you said, like, they want to play this both sides thing, but every time something they publish some, like, hack job like this, then they have to publish a shitload of retractions, which was what they did. I, when I was trying to search to find this article so I could reread it for the show, I only found ones from the Washington Post that say, like, we need to get away from the doppelganger theory. It's like, you published the theory, like, and now you want to be just arguing that nobody should do it. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of different writers there, but at the same level, it's like, it's just very disingenuous and shitty and ridiculous. It's one thing to, like, have a prick, like, do a, uh, Eric Garland like tweet thread but yes. to put it in like a paper of record is a different story oh yeah for sure because I mean as we're about to see with like this Beto O'Rourke thing I mean hopefully he wins but I don't think that he's gonna beat Ted Cruz in Texas I think that he being online doesn't mean you're gonna win like elections people don't 
care about what happens on Twitter. They don't find out about it. So when it's published in like the Washington Post, it legitimizes it so much more as a thing. Like it gets in front of the eyeballs of so many more people who are susceptible to this kind of bullshit and don't see it as like a hacky online theory like the way we do. And to speak on Beto O'Rourke for another second, I love the video of him air drumming to Baba O'Reilly after the debate. But, oh, he rules. He's a cool and, guy. And I love the fucking speech he gave where he's talking about racial justice and stuff. But saying that Ted Cruz sharing that video is like doing a campaign ad for Beto O'Rourke, that is just fucking ignorant. The people no, totally. who support Ted Cruz don't want to hear about cops killing black people. Yes. Yeah. No, absolutely. I mean, that's uh, that's the thing. And that's also with these races. I mean, these are fucking districts that are like completely gerrymandered to hell. I mean, it's so difficult for someone like him to win, even though the demographics of Texas as a whole should be friendly to democratic politics. They uh, they don't end up that way because Republicans uh, know how to use power and they gerrymander the shit out of everything, which is bad, obviously, but that's why they continue to win. So, uh I don't know. Anyway, uh, going back to Kavanaugh and the It Never Happened crowd, we've got Eric Erickson, uh, who is a hacky conservative writer, who said he can tell that the Kavanaugh doppelganger theory is true because the Democrats are all of a sudden ridiculing it and they know they need to discredit it quickly. <laughs> like, If all these people think that it's false, it must actually be true. Aye, 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 guys, <laughs> come on. Yeah, Eric Erickson's been, like, going on a tear this week, though, so uh, to break down all of his takes would take this whole show. Oh, absolutely. He's just another example. But uh, someone who definitely had a really unique take today was uh, Dr. Ben Carson. Important to note, Ben Carson wrote saying that he did not feel qualified to run housing and urban development in the Trump administration. Because he's not. But he had Ryan for president. And he's still the fucking Secretary of Housing and Urban Development. <laughs> and just spending so much money on, like, curtains. <laughs> yeah, that was such a funny uh, That was such a funny story. But either way, uh, Ben Carson, Dr. Ben Carson, came out and said that, uh, guys, you got to think about the big picture here. The Kavanaugh allegations are actually an attempt by the Fabian Society, literally a British socialist organization founded in the 19th century, <laughs> which still exists to some level in the UK's Labour Party, but still, like, we're not talking about grasping at straws here. Uh, he really went dug deep for this one. <laughs> I just think it's so funny the way he phrases it. It's like, guys... Uh, Listen, is this your first day in politics? Uh, listen, I, anyone can see what's really going on. It's uh, the Fabian Society. <laughs> it's a socialist plot. Right. It is, an, it is a communist insurrection. Oh, my God. No, I, well, because there's been some people who say, like, because we're about to get into the it doesn't matter crowd. But uh, the another thing in the it never happened crowd is people are like, she clearly made this up to discredit him. It's like, oh, OK, yeah, sure. She like thought up like at age like 15. She thought up how like, oh, I'm going to pick out that guy and ruin his career like 30 years from now. But Ben Carson did those people one more and said this is actually goes all the way back to the 19th century. The attempts to discredit her are just so, like, weak. And the idea that one would subject themselves to this sort of... I mean, she had to, like, relocate out of her home due to death threats. The idea that someone would put themselves through this when, at the end of this process, she still has a good chance of getting confirmed. 
And even if he doesn't, they're going to just pull some other fucking dweeb who has his exact credentials and make him the Supreme Court justice. And he'll get to like write a book or something and be just a, a shitty rich judge for the rest of his life. Well, Chris Christie said on one of the morning shows today that he thinks if Kavanaugh is denied the Supreme Court seat over the allegation that his career as a federal judge is absolutely over, which... I, I mean, one would hope. That's true. Yeah. But let's talk about the it-doesn't-matter crowd. Now... Yeah, these are the really bad ones. There's been a lot of this going around where conservatives essentially saying, like, well, who doesn't uh, do that in high school? And who among us was not a... So part of me thinks that, you know, like I said, a lot a theme of this is that you're starting to see people's true colors. I think as far as they're concerned, they might be right. What, amongst Republican politicians? I'm sure like a ton of those people did shit like this back in the day. Like it's not, a, I don't think it's a big jump to make. You know, amongst like po- powerful politicians, I think a lot of them, Democrats too probably, have done this. It's sort of like maybe a Me Too thing. Like in Hollywood, they're like, oh, if, all, if every Hollywood executive who abused a, an actress got in trouble, then we'd have no more left. It's like, well, hmm, is there something you'd like to tell us? Like it, it starts to just, you start to see what's going on here, I guess. Conservative writer Rod Dreher said, I just want to read this tweet because it's it's a there's a lot going on in high school. I was physically bullied by 17 year old boys in a sexually humiliating way, but not sex. It affected the direction of my life. They never apologized. Still, I wouldn't hold that against them if they were nominated for the court. They were boys. Oh, my God. That's so like sad. It's a, yeah, it's a very depressing. I mean, I think with conservative social media, you see so much of like this push and pull between like their whole ideology is like, we don't want to play the victim. And so they'll come out and say things like this where like, I wasn't a victim in this case in which I was literally victimized. But they do this by like appealing to victimhood online. I mean, like he's literally saying like, this lady may have been assaulted, but I was also assaulted and I don't think it's that bad. So why does she think it's that bad? Even though he admits it was not sex. Like they probably just said he had a small dick and punched him or something. I I don't know what the story is. Obviously it's wrong to bully people in a sexually humiliating way, but comparing that to literally rape is (laughs) way out of line. And yeah, to use that to erase what happened to this woman is, I mean, or like the weight of what happened to this woman when you literally clarify what happened to you was not sex, was not sex. Yeah, even though this is not the same thing at all, uh, it's actually the same thing. So let's play a clip from this CNN panel. What they apparently said was that these were a bunch of typical GOP voters. And let's play the clip. We're now in tonight's top story, what Christine Blasey Ford's legal team wants as conditions for her testimony against Brett Kavanaugh. They want Thursday as the date not to have Judge Kavanaugh in the room with her at the same time and questioning by senators, not outside counsel. Of course, the question hanging over all of this is will be about credibility and believability. Randy Kaye spoke with a group of Republican women in Florida. A show of hands, how many of you believe Judge Kavanaugh when he says this didn't happen? I believe him. I believe him. I do. I, I, I do believe him. I, I believe him. How can right. we believe the word of a woman of something that happened 36 years ago when this guy has an impeccable reputation? And was it nobody, nobody that has spoken ill will about him. Everyone that speaks about him, this guy's an altar boy. 
you know, a scout. He's, you know, because one woman made an allegation. Sorry, I don't buy it. But in the grand scheme of things, my goodness, you, there was no intercourse. There was maybe a touch. Can we really? 36 (laughs) years later, she's still stuck on that? Had it happened? I mean, we're talking about a 15-year-old girl, which I respect. You know, I'm a woman. I respect. And we're talking about a 17-year-old boy in high school with testosterone running high. Tell me what boy hasn't done this in high school. Please, I would like to know. Sam, there is so much wrong with this. But yeah, Wow, Dan, did you uh, hear those totally typical GOP voters who weren't, like, reading just uh, off a time card? So, uh, James uh, Suorecki, I guess he's a writer, he tweeted this thread that said, Ciaran's framing of the segment was very irresponsible, and the women were described as average GOP voters, but were in fact GOP political operatives, including uh, the woman in the white sweater, Lords Castillo de la Peña, who served on the Republican National Senatorial Committee and hosted a $1,000 a plate fundraiser for Ted Cruz's presidential campaign at her home. Why yes. you also have Gina Sosa, who made the now infamous comment about how all 17-year-old boys have done something like this, was a congressional candidate in the GOP primary this year. So it goes on and on. These are all just like fucking operatives. These are not right. just your typical voter. Right. And uh, something that he mentions which is also kind of important is that uh these are all like latino women it's it's angela vasquez gina sosa uh lourdes castillo de la pena like you said they're clearly meant to come out and say like women of color are supporting brett kavanaugh and the republicans and they're literally like appealing to this kind of like identity essentialism to say like i mean they're just being fair and uh fair and uh, non non-biased and shit and it's ridiculous because as you said they are all fucking gop operatives or people who've played a larger than average role in party politics but even just on face value how fucking despicable is what that lady gina sosa said that all 17 year old boys have done something like this no they fucking haven't dan and i let's look folks this might be shocking to you guys dan and i have never done anything like this no, and we were seventeen-year-old dudes, like, right? Seventeen-year-old like, white dudes. You can interact in the with women without this idea that it's this like acceptable condition and this like this unchangeable reality is just it's irresponsible to put that on the airwaves. Absolutely, and really, at the end of the day, I mean, I think the thing to take away from this is that these people are telling on themselves. I mean, uh, we saw Steve King today said, like, what man would not be accused of a woman of raping them? It's like, I don't know, a man who didn't do it, a man who doesn't do that sort of thing. Like, why why is this, like, such an impossible standard? Why is it that people can't fucking rely on the idea that their politicians didn't rape people like on on the democrats and the republicans i mean there are plenty of democrats who are awful too it's been so despicable to see joe biden out here talking about how jesus christ um, anita hill oh my god he's like you have to believe women you got to believe women when they say uh that someone raped them it's like you did the fucking exact opposite the issue of fantasy has arisen Are you interested in writing a book? It is appropriate to ask Professor Hill anything any member wishes to ask her to 
plumb the depths of her credibility. You are not now drawing a conclusion that Judge Thomas sexually harassed you. Yes, I am drawing that conclusion. That well, is then my... I don't understand. Pardon me? Then I don't understand. You went to such extreme lengths to discredit Anita Hill. Welcome, Professor Hill. Thank you. Can you tell the committee what was the most embarrassing of all the incidences that you have alleged? So the, to the point that we have, like, fucking Clarence Thomas on the Supreme Court now, I mean, Jesus Christ, dude, like, how, how oblivious or, like, cynical do you have to be to, like, try to get on that side of things now? God, and just wait until he's fucking running. And Joe Biden is not the fucking answer, people. I, no, I mean, come on, guys. We got to do better. To uh, to get on his high horse about supporting women now in this, con it's, it, I think it would be better if he just shut the fuck up. Absolutely. But um, I think another thing that's that we need to like talk about is maybe there's a, like a bit of a liberal reaction that's like, Oh, uh, it's so ironic, huh, that all these Republicans talk about family values and morality, and it turns out they don't actually believe in it. And, like, the idea that calling someone a hypocrite is the ultimate way to, like, eviscerate them or something, or that it's useful in any way, I think is something we need to take apart here. Right. And a way we can look at this is through the story of Trump guy Jason Miller, who was working on the Trump campaign, he was a just hideous-looking, goateed, fucking <laughs> CNN talking head the last year or two. Yeah, this is a legitimately just awful story. I mean, th I guess a lot of this episode is not for the fate of heart at the moment, but uh, these are bleak times, and this story is really ruthless. Okay, so this guy, Jason Miller, basically, court documents have come out showing that... Uh, in this custody battle between Miller and uh, A.J. Delgado, who is another former Trump staffer, they, it shows that Miller had an affair with a woman he met in a... Uh, in, in a, a strip, it was a Flor Floridian strip club. Yeah. <laughs> and he's just Absolutely. like raw-dogging the employees. <laughs> wow. Really going for it there, Dan, <laughs> with, the, with the imagery. But um, absolutely. And uh, so he has, an, he has an affair with this woman. She becomes pregnant. And then he allegedly gave her an abortion pill without her knowledge by mixing it into a smoothie. And the pill had a bad reaction with street drugs that were in her system. And she was hospitalized and I think nearly died. So Yes. So let's look at this, right? We have the GOP who are trying to rail through Kavanaugh, who is clearly an opponent of Roe v. Wade. And you have this Trump operative, Jason Miller, who conceivably probably st supports the revoking of abortion rights for, you know, average people, but is completely fine with aborting his own child from yeah, his, his own mistress. Like, love child but right. still doing it without her knowledge too, like forcing her to have the abortion right so like sam said there is no point in arguing that this is hypocritical like we got to get beyond that because it doesn't really get us anywhere saying like oh look at this uh, republican who loves abortions it's like 
Guys, you think Trump didn't have 20 abortions in his life or pay for 20 abortions? <laughs> no, Trump himself had 20 abortions. He's, he's oh been pregnant he's so like an many alien times. being impregnated. <laughs> Man, everyone's knocking Trump up. No, I mean, you're totally right. I think what it is is we need to view it less of like, oh, it's so weird that they betrayed their strong ideologies. Like these people don't have an ideology. These people all are just about getting what they want when they want it and appealing to some like abstracted idea of like family values or morality, which has been warped so many times through shit like Fox news and just the way that we take in information, the way that news affects us and to act like, like you need to call that for what it is. It can't just be like this whole, like, Oh, you know, Brett Kavanaugh's a hypocrite. Like he's not doing what he said he would. It's like, it's that's kind of their idea. All they want to do is what they want. It's about what benefits them all these people have despicable personal lives while they go out and do this that's not something that like we can it's not even a particularly good weapon because republicans also don't fucking care they'll all excuse that behavior and further in this sort of line of thinking we can look at brett kavanaugh's involvement with the bill clinton impeachment yes this became like something that i became obsessed with for a second (laughs) I just read something uh, before we started recording that Kavanaugh apparently demanded that Ken Starr ask Bill Clinton if he ejaculated into the sink. And yes. in a Washington Post story about Brett Kavanaugh's prep for this hearing, he um, apparently got flustered at being asked such personal sexual questions. Jeez. I mean, so, yeah, at this time, Brett Kavanaugh was an associate counsel for uh, independent counsel Ken Starr, who was investigating Bill Clinton and the Monica Lewinsky affair, um, writing on August 15th, 1998, two days before Clinton testified to to a grand jury from the White House. He um, sent this memo recommending 10 questions uh, about the affair with Lewinsky. And the... When you read this thing, it's worthwhile to read the whole thing. It just becomes like, it's so fucking weird because you can read it as if someone's saying this to Kavanaugh himself. He says, I, after reflecting this evening, I am strongly opposed to giving the president any break in the questioning regarding the details of the relationship. Unless before his questioning on Monday, he either resigns or confesses perjury and signs a public apology to you. I have tried hard to bend over backwards and to be fair to him and think of all reasonable defenses to his pattern of behavior. What has especially convinced me about the appropriateness about his full and complete testimony regarding the precise details are the sheer number of his wrongful acts. The president has disgraced his office the legal system the american people by having sex with a 22 year old intern like it it just like this is such a thing that could be said to him it's like you've disgraced the your position and yourself by committing what you did when you were 17 years old and yeah he has this list of just questions that are like really really graphic i mean there's it's it's lurid he says if monica Lewinsky said that on several occasions in the oval office area you used your fingers to stimulate her vagina and bring her to orgasm would she be lying like if if monica Lewinsky says that she gave you oral sex on nine occasions in the oval office area would she be lying? it's like trying to get him on the luridness of his details yeah it's uh it's a little bit of uh brutal irony that he's on the other side of this now right and i mean also disturbing that i mean 
he, as someone who committed something like what he did back when he was a kid, this being Kavanaugh, in this case, like Brett Kavanaugh was the man trying to uh, bring a case against another man for sexual misconduct. So it says something about what kind of you know judge he would be and maybe something about our system that we always have these kinds of people running this shit. And uh, last point on Kavanaugh, still has the support of most Republicans. Yep. NBC poll uh, poll said that what seventy four percent of Republicans still support him, only four percent oppose. Uh, with the rest, you know, accounting for all that poll bullshit, like margin of error and undecided. But uh, either way, bleak situation. But uh, well, I guess we'll see what happens. I mean, I, I think most likely they probably pull him and get another person. But at the end of the day, he could have the same treatment as like Clarence Thomas, who was confirmed and. Uh, despite all the details of his affair. So moving on from Brett Kavanaugh, which obviously we will be updating you as uh, all that shit moves forward, we would like to shout out Michael Saudino, a former sheriff from our homeland of Bergen County, New Jersey. Now, Sam... This shout out is due to the fact that <laughs> shout out. We're not like we're not fans of this guy. Come on, well, hey, shout out. Yeah, I guess a shout Holla. out implies that you like the person. <laughs> yeah, come on. We're we're shaming this guy. This guy is the sheriff of Bergen County, uh, the county that you know Dan still lives in and my parents uh, still live in, and like that's where we're from. Good country, except for the fact that people there are pretty racist and pretty conservative. <laughs> so. Uh, Dan, what was this guy mad about? He was mad about, like, Phil Murphy trying to legalize marijuana in New Jersey. Yeah, and he essentially ranted about just how, like, he's going to arrest all the the black people who enter our communities in Bergen County due to legalized marijuana. Yeah, and this is something that's worth talking about for us because, I mean, uh, people think of New Jersey as like, a, I guess, you know, coastal, liberal, whatever kind of state, and people like to tell themselves that Jersey is liberal. But, I mean, where we're from is pretty conservative for New Jersey. But in general, I think New Jersey has, like, heavy racial segregation. Um, it's it's a pretty, like, uh, racist place. I, I don't know. It's uh, We didn't have a lot of diversity growing up, except for, like, I guess there's, like, a lot of Korean people in our area. And it's it's maybe more diverse now. But I remember growing up and it being, like, I, I mean, I, it made sense to me after a while that, like, we had so many cops because I was like, oh, they they like to have a lot of police to like discourage minorities from moving in. And there was like hella redlining and stuff too. I think Cory Booker, who's from your town, Harrington park, uh, his parents were like the first like black family, like move there or like be allowed to like get a house there and shit. But, uh, this guy also had stuff to say about, uh, Gerbier Graywall, who is the, uh, state attorney general for New Jersey, who is the first American Sikh, uh, in his American history to serve as a state attorney general. Graywell was like, uh, had a great reaction. He was just like, I don't know, I've got a thick skin. And I was like, ah, damn, this, it's shitty because, I mean, in Jersey, we know that people are pretty racist. But uh, you don't like to hear comments like that, like people being like, oh, I'm like stand par for the course to hear all this racist shit said about me. So, Michael Saudino, you've been plunged. Yeah, fuck off. And finally, it's the pop culture corner. Sam, I saw Fahrenheit. 11-9. We knew you were going to. Uh, my next guest is kind of the polar, philosophical polar opposite of Donald Trump, I think, but maybe not. We'll find out. His first film was the classic documentary, Roger and Me, which was so great. Please welcome my blue-collar panelist, Michael Moore. 
He's terrific, I tell you. I, loved, I loved what he did. Oh. If I was Roger, I wouldn't have liked it, but I, I enjoyed it. I oh. hope he never does one on me, though. I <laughs> <laughs> this is the pop culture corner, and this is what it's all about, folks. We've been talking about this movie for a while now because it was held up due to the Harvey Weinstein scandal, and I guess it's finally been released, and I had every intention of going to this movie and laughing at Michael Moore's sort of earnest yet incoherent sort of filmmaking and, <laughs> you know, his, like, lame, like, performance art. But, Sam, I have to say, it was fucking great. Michael Moore's new film, Fahrenheit 11.9, I would four stars. Like it was, it was, <laughs> I, I'm, I am shocked to be I don't saying need to laugh at you. No, I'm, but like Michael Moore to <laughs> me is someone who I look at him as someone who in my youth was someone I really trusted as, you know, the little guy speaking truth to power. Then you kind of realize that a lot of his films are a little disingenuous at times stitched together, perhaps not as honest as it could be, for example, suggesting that Charlton Heston in Bowling for Columbine, suggesting that Charlton Heston said, uh, you can pry my gun from my cold, dead hands, like right after Columbine happened, which he did not do. So I was expecting to kind of have a laugh at the kind of bloviating Michael Moore-ness that we all know. And he had, his last project was this Michael Moore in Trump land, which Sam, did you see that? <laughs> no it was this fill me in on it oh just a crappy one-man show i think he went to like ohio and it was basically just like chilling for hillary trying to convince these like blue-collar people that hillary was worth voting for and i have to say he devotes most of this film not to donald trump but to the conditions created by honestly like a lot of it is devoted to the democrats which was extremely surprising to me because I expected this to just be like Michael Moore's like, well, this is the film that's going to really like knock the pants off of Donald Trump. I guess that's like a way for him to sell it. I feel like that's an easier tagline to sell than like, I'm going to blow the lid off what the Democrats are doing and the Republicans. Because then if he had like been that forward about it, I guess, in the tagline and he had earned like the ire of Democrats, he would have lost a lot of potential viewers, I think, who still largely do want to hear that the Democrats are good. The movie starts literally like, let's fucking go. Fight song, Javits Center. Oh my God. I was howling laughing. <laughs> because you just you're looking at these hillary clinton lovers and you just know what's coming right i would say donald trump really acts in the film as a structuring absence and what more does best in the film is it's not just like a greatest hits like reel of like big news events and stuff that have happened in the last two years I think he's making a real effort to answer the question of like that he asked in the movie, how the fuck did this happen? And honestly, his answer is like corporate Democrats allowed this to happen. Yeah, I mean, that's a good. Re and I, I like what you said about how Trump is like a structuring absence, because I think that's a kind of useful way to look at Trump in a in a in, I guess, navigating our current political landscape, because as we've said like a uh, it's impossible to predict what he's like what he's really going to do and it's also like not 
he doesn't have the firsthand line on like what's happening because he's kind of this I don't know childish figure who can't read more than like a paragraph or two without like falling asleep or demanding another diet coke so I don't know more goes into all of his interactions with people in the Trump world and it's really interesting because Jared Kushner hosted the premiere party for sicko and Steve Bannon's company distributed the sicko DVDs so Moore has worked with some of these people and he uh, admits it and says like the thing about all this is we all saw Trump's birtherism we all saw the fact that he played every clip ever of Trump being creepy to Ivanka and stacked together I have to, I have to hand it to Moore like because I, I was so skeptical going in and like I guess like all the best propaganda it definitely resonated emotionally the stories he chose he devotes so much of the movie to the Parkland students and the shooting and the ineffectiveness of their efforts to talk to Republican legislators in Florida. And it basically detailed that the only way, and obviously the Flint water crisis is a huge part of this movie as a sort of microcosm for all the failures of the Republican governor, Rick Snyder, but also when Obama came to town and drank, took like the littlest, like, drop of of the flint water when he was on the podium and how that moment dissuaded so many black people from voting in 2016 and hillary did not lose by much in michigan and you have to look at these little moments where democrats just took the side of the corporate entities or you know nancy pelosi's telling that kid on cnn that like well you know we're capitalists more right narrates that after that and is like maybe you guys are capitalists and that's not the central guiding ideology for like the majority of us and it's just like when you contextualize it like that and i guess seeing alexandria ocasio-cortez in the movie as well sort of a response to this these long-term incumbents these sort of corporate democrats who just kind of like sit there and are unopposed I don't know. I guess I guess I, I'm kind of rambling about different parts of the movie, but I, I I see I see the message of the movie is not that like Trump is bad, which like obviously, but the message is that like direct action is the only way to make anything change. And he highlighted uh, additionally the uh, West Virginia teacher strike and how that solidarity led to like they got everything they wanted. Right. And at the end, it was a very somber interview with a 99-year-old, the last living prosecutor from the Nuremberg trials. And he was talking about the things Trump has done were some of the things he sent men to the gallows for doing in Nazi Germany. And more goes into some of the, you know, the Reichstag and some moments from uh, Hitler's Germany and some of like the press from then that... God, it's just like these fucking op-eds that we look at on this show where it, it basically says, like, H- Hitler, it was in a, a Jewish magazine, and it basically said, like, he's too smart to do any of the things he said, 
and he's weird and outlandish, but he won't actually do the things, like the more radical things he said. And we can obviously mark the parallels to today. Is, is there anything you, you have are wondering about the movie? Well, I think that it makes sense for Michael Moore to have made a good movie about this because Michael Moore, to, for me, was like legitimately the the first few days before the election he had like i guess it was a facebook status or something about he basically described how trump would win oh, like oh which and states he was weak in not to mention he shows megan kelly on fox news on election night invoking his name saying that you know michael moore said he knew a lot of people in michigan and that the people in michigan were not guaranteed hillary votes and that right obviously he was right yeah, and I mean, he's like you said, he's in Michigan. He's in like the fulcrum of the Clinton, you know, failure, and that was the state that once again she lost. They clearly just had bad data on because she lost it to Bernie Sanders during the primary, which she didn't see coming. That was a huge thing. And then, oh, that now reminds she's, me. That, I just there was this intense footage from the DNC when literally Bernie won fifteen out of fifteen counties, or. I think it was 15 in West Virginia and the superdelegates still went to Hill went with Hillary, even though Bernie oh, yeah. won every County and Moore goes from literally like standing in this Michael Moore and Trump land thing, singing the praises of Hillary Clinton saying like, you know, I didn't like bill, but I think Hillary is an extremely qualified woman. And I think a lot of the people who see this movie are going to be surprised at the degree to which he lays out the, greed and like failures of democrats and it was it was exactly what i what i wanted to see personally yeah i mean now you're making me want to see it i guess yeah the stuff in flint i guess i didn't realize the degree to which the governor had initiated a lot of this uh himself and it's appalling the shit that went on there and it is it is a about, fucking like, water crisis. Yes, the the and the Obama administration started doing military drills in Flint without telling anyone what was going on. So they literally thought they were like under attack. And the footage from that Jeez. is insane. And this lady's like to, doing a periscope on her phone and she's like if it can happen in Flint, it can happen anywhere. It was just very like you know, they were like bombing buildings, like abandoned buildings and shit because they want to train in like an urban prepare for like urban yeah. wars and it's just it was unbelievable to see all this footage of shit that i just i mean i i just didn't know i didn't know that much about and you know more does some of his like sort of like performancey antics like he <laughs> he fills a truck with like gallons and gallons of flint water and it literally says like flint water on the tank and he takes a hose and just unloads it on the governor's house and his lawn I was wondering what like leads up to that moment. Is that like the, that's not like the climax of the film, or like it, wh where is it in the the narrative of the documentary? That appears kind of in the middle of the film during the the section on Flint, which is yeah, it's kind of it's kind of right there in the middle because that's that's before he really goes into the teacher strike Parkland or the. Um, you know the end stuff with the hitler comparisons but he didn't make himself a huge part of this movie which 
I liked. I was gonna say like, when does he? Ro- who does he roll up on? That's my favorite thing Michael Moore does. Is he like? Oh, he rolls <laughs> up on. Remember in oh, like yeah. Fahrenheit eleven nine eleven? He like rolls up on the center. He's like, is your son registered in the U.S. Army? And then the guy's like, oh god, I, I can't believe you attacked me on the street. Well, he goes to make a citizen's arrest of Governor Rick Snyder. Hell yeah! <laughs> he walks into the governor's like office with handcuffs, and he's like. I'm here to arrest Governor Rick Snyder. This is a citizen's arrest for poisoning <laughs> the people of Flint. And, fucking, that rules. and his press secretary comes out. And the governor's mansion, I guess, is in uh, Ann Arbor or Detroit. It's not in Flint. But more like then he's like, well, actually, I was wondering. And the guy, the press secretary comes out and he says that the water's fine. And then more hands him the <laughs> a glass of water. And he, of course, he won't drink it. Oh, my God. A lot of the remember when Obama drank the Flint water? Yeah, though that well that uh, I think I mentioned before that is central to the movie's thesis that Democrats failed. Yeah, because that moment, and they talked to so many people in Flint about how that moment when he took the littlest, littlest sip, littlest drop of water, as like that was the moment everyone said fuck it, like Democrats don't give a shit about us, like. Our children have lead poisoning. They will have developmental disabilities, intellectual disabilities, impulse control problems. Like, there's no safe amount of lead you can ingest. And no. <laughs> that Obama could barely take a little, uh, uh, the little sip. The pipes have not been replaced. Obama did not call a state of emergency to have the pipes immediately replaced. And people fucking bathe with bottled water. A lady in Flint said... I had better showers in Iraq when they served. Oh, my God. Yeah, I mean, um, that's what was so patronizing to me about the uh, Obama thing was, I mean, I don't know people from Flint, Michigan, really, but I know people from, like, the suburbs in Louisiana, like, outside of New Orleans, where, like, the oil companies just fucking ravage their water supplies and it's not drinkable, and they only use bottled water, and so it's not like... They're, you know, just like stuffing it up and like sipping the pot, the tap water. It's like people that you literally can't do it. They know it's like drinking like ocean water or something. It's fucking gr- like so for Obama to Hold be. Hold on, I got to break in. We got break. Sam, for Sam Obama we got to be breaking out there news. like we acting like news. he needs to. Uh, I just received a text from my father saying another woman came forward and said that Kavanaugh exposed himself to her while a freshman at Yale. Oh, boy. It just gets deeper with this. Of course, right? Of course, the carpool dad who takes the yeah. the, the, the other teen girl to the daddy-daughter dance every year. Of course, he coaches two girls' basketball teams. Like, he, he is a fucking abuser of women. He's like, he needs to control women. This That is this man's being. Yeah, they're trying to act like he's, like, a friend of women. It's like, okay, but trying to, like, demean them or control them or, like, be some sort of... Even in, like, a religious context, like you mentioned, like, the daddy-daughter dances or whatever. Are those religious? Is that some kind of creepy Christian thing or is that just a creepy suburbs thing? I don't know, but I'm glad I never had to do that. All right. Either way, it's some, like, social conservatism, like, family values nonsense. And uh, it just, like we said earlier, goes to show it's not hypocrisy. It's, like, these are just the tools that they use to oppress women. Like, this moral ideology or, like, family values bullshit is just, like, their excuse for the way they demean and control women. So, back to Fahrenheit. The stuff with Obama surprised me a lot because more in a lot of the press for the film didn't really indicate that 
he'd be going after the Democrats quite so much. And I was happy that the movie wasn't just, here's why Republicans are evil. It had that, but that was not the majority of the movie. And the idea that the United States is a leftist country inherently is pushed emphatically by Moore. And when he talks to a candidate in West Virginia, he talks about how they the term redneck came from coal miners who went on strike uh, in the 1920s, wore right. these red bandanas around their necks. So redneck in uh, certain parts of the country is actually like a badge of pride because it means like union solidarity. Yeah, and I mean, that it goes to show that, like, the people who usually comment on politics are not people from, like, these backgrounds who know these kinds of things about working-class people, and they're just so far removed that they think it's, like, alien or that it's going to be used to, to levy an accusation of socialism or something, but these things are all immediately resonant with people who are working-class, who are the vast majority of people in this country still, so I don't know. I mean, I'm glad that that's the biggest element of the film. I mean, I wonder if maybe like we're going to get an interview with Michael Moore down the road where he, he says it's like sort of, he pulled a little bit of like a Trojan horse with the uh, advertising, like trying to make it seem like it was just going to be like a big Trump bash fest, which is objectively popular. Like all the most mainstream outlets are about dumping on Trump these days. So uh, I think it's clever. It might have been a clever move for him to like couch the appeal for this film in that but also allowing him to get in like all these critiques of democrats or you know maybe getting some people who otherwise would be turned off to come yeah i think if you're you consider yourself on the left like you won't be disappointed with this movie he really does talk about like labor a lot and capitalism and corporate greed i think that people will walk out of there and especially more of these like msnbc like centrist liberals i think they will come out of this movie at least a little more skeptical more strikes me as the kind of like you know robert Mueller cheerleader type but he literally said like if you think the special counsel is going to save us if you think that this is going to save us. And he specifically says, like, if you think Robert Mueller is going to save us, like, it's not going to happen. No, all that stuff is so fucking symbolic. People act like that's like a legitimate, like way to achieve some sort of like, you know, concrete victory when it's, it's all so fucking symbolic. If Trump is like found guilty or not for like collusion with Russia, he's been president for like two years. He's been able to do so much damage. I walked out. I had to call Sam and be (laughs) like, it was actually good. (laughs) <laughs> I was so unsurprised when you told me that, to be honest, though. I, I knew you were going to like it. Yeah. Why don't you talk about the movie you saw, Mandy? Under the crimson, primordial sky, the wretched warlock reached into the dark embrace. His fist closed around the serpent's eye. I need you to get me that girl I saw. Do you know what to do? You're a special one, Mandy. I, too, am a special one. Let us be. 
Okay, so <laughs> Mandy is a. It's I didn't see it in theaters. I I, I uh, pirated it. Don't uh, you know? Hopefully the what is the FCC? Busted! I knew the law would catch up with me eventually. Okay, this so this whole podcast was a ruse to catch you torrenting. <laughs> yeah, they just like bust in, like a SWAT team busts in. I'm just like hunched over, nude in front of my computer. Like the only <laughs> light is like the laptop screen just blaring at me. Um, they finally find me <laughs> just torrenting like Nicolas Cage movies. Anyway, um, I watched Mandy, which was like I think I I can't tell if I liked it. It, it definitely like was thought provoking. This is from uh, the same director as Beyond the Black Rainbow, which is Panos Cosmatos, and this is like a action. I guess like kind of a horror a little bit. There's occult elements. The plot is that. Nicholas Cage is a lumberjack uh, and lives in the Pacific Northwest somewhere. <laughs> and his w- oh my god, I love it already. <laughs> oh, it, it, it rules. Um, his wife is named Mandy. Uh, maybe they're not official. They might just be like they're lovers. Either way, they live together. They're cohabiting. And uh, he, she is cool as hell and dresses up in like metal shirts. And the the aesthetic of this movie rocks. It's totally like. Uh, very like not kind of weirdly like 70s it takes place in the early 80s so it still has like a little bit that like late 70s like bong rip like mentality in terms of like the imagery uh literally there's like animated sequences that kind of remind me of the like heavy metal that like 1977 movie with like all of the like animated breasts and stuff like set to like fog hat or like some other like 70s classic rock band uh it it gives you like it's it's not like cool but i guess it sort of takes back that like imagery in a weird way anyway uh nicholas cage and his wife the occult rolls up on him and they take his wife mandy uh there's the cult is pretty memorable there's sort of like just a doomsday cult that uh the i want to find the name of the actor who plays the main guy i can definitely find it here um oh i also wanted to mention that uh red the guy nicholas cage's character is named red miller (laughs) (laughs) which sounds like the name of like i i I don't know isn't uh i think matthew mcconaughey has like a a nephew named miller light or something like that oh my god (laughs) it reminds me of that a little bit uh okay so the cult leader's name is jeremiah sand and uh he kind of just he's a he's a narcissist who uses all kind of like Satanist and like occult imagery. Uh and uh he also gives her hella acid because like like this movie, as I said, is just very like late seventies, like uh bong rip go- kind of uh hallucinations. And uh either way, after she literally laughs at his penis <laughs> when he exposes himself to her, <laughs> the cult uh you know spoiler alert folks burns her in front alive in front of nicholas cage's character red miller he's like all tied up and there's uh really good scenes of nicholas cage just screaming and like the all the the imagery is like blood red his face is covered in blood he's just like silently like this the music that's playing is literally like king crimson and like 70s like prog rock stuff it's like the most uncool thing ever so how far into the movie is that? Okay, so that's like halfway through. 
the second half of the movie is really wild. Uh, that's when it becomes like a Nicolas Cage film. And Dan, what's your impression of like Nicolas Cage movies? Give me, give me a, a short list of your uh, picks. I have to say, I love Con Air. David Lynch's yeah. Wild at Heart is one of his greatest performances. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. This is a, if you like Wild at Heart, I, I think you would like this. Okay. I yeah, I'm I'm pro Cage. Okay, either way, like you know what the elements of a Nicolas Cage movie are. Like the plot is like superfluous largely. Um usually he's like screaming or doing like wild delivery, he has like crazy eyes. People are losing their minds over this movie, and a large part of it is just Nicolas Cage gets to really Nicolas Cage it up in this film. <laughs> so either way, he uh, goes after the cult with a very kind of, I don't know how to describe this axe. That he, You should load up a picture of Nicolas Cage with this and see if you can describe his axe. It's all chrome. It's very like, I guess, World of Warcraft, but like, also in a Mad Max way. I, I don't know. He goes after all the members of the cult. It's all drawn <laughs> oh out. My God. It's, it's exactly what you expect from this. The Vulture review is titled, Nicolas Cage and Mandy, Screaming, Cocaine, and Battle Axes. Hell yeah. No, there, it's, it's exactly what's going okay, on. Okay, every fucking Google image, his face is covered in blood from this movie. Yes. <laughs> Like, from, like, ten minutes in, he's covered in blood. And uh, there's one memorable scene where he literally has a chainsaw fight. It's chainsaw on chainsaw. It's like a swashbuckling, like a sword scene in, like, Lord of the Rings or, like, Pirates of the Caribbean or something. But it's with chainsaws. (laughs) That's cool. I like that. So uh, this movie has a 93% on Rotten Tomatoes. Everyone is, like, losing it over this. People are calling it, like, Nicolas Cage's, uh, you know, one of his great performances. Or people are like, it reminds me of Con Air. Or not Con Air. Uh, Face Off, <laughs> which uh, I rewatched because it rules. <laughs> yeah, that's a movie I'd like to maybe do an episode on. It's so bananas because it's a similar thing where it's like very critically acclaimed as like an action movie in the 90s. But the plot and the like the execution is so fucking bizarre and bananas. Yeah, it's absolutely just ridiculous. But uh, any any final words on Mandy? No, Mandy's just fun if you're like, especially if you, if you like Panos uh, Cosmatos, who his only previous release was Beyond the Blank Rainbow, which is similarly, honestly, it's even more hallucinatory. I didn't make it all the way through that one, and I usually like weird stuff like this. But uh, if you're into this kind of me- uh, imagery, or you really like King Crimson or something like this, this is a, a worthwhile watch. I mean, the plot is simple but also largely superfluous it's all about the chainsaw fights and the axes and uh the tripped out imagery and let's take this opportunity to move into story time you wanted to bring up a high school memory yes because this is important to us this is our how we became partially radicalized i think (laughs) in a way maybe that's that's a word for it (laughs) either way so um dan and i were both in the illustrious ap uh advanced placement really really prestigious stuff here college credit people yeah you got did you get did you actually get any college credit from this advanced placement like uh what u.s government class yeah it was incredible at my 
beautiful state school, Binghamton University, they accepted, like, all you had to do was get a three on any AP test and it counted for, for like, four Oh, credits. that rules. Yeah, it was great. I got, I got credits for... I got credits for it at Tulane, even though it's a, uh, you know, uh, very exclusive private four-year university. Uh, but either way, this class was – okay, so, like, the AP tests are, like, these stupid, like, t- tests that measure what they think high schoolers should know about a given thing. And you can get college credit for it. And the s- curriculum tends to be, like, pretty, like, dulled down, obviously, because it's for, like, high schoolers. But uh, – the AP U.S. government in particular was like civics class. Like it was like, what are the three branches of government? <laughs> like, yeah, it was not a lot of like practical knowledge. You know, I don't think we talked much about like names. <laughs> <laughs> and this is not to detra- discredit our wonderful professor or teacher who was literally ha- like had a PhD and uh, was a brilliant lady. But she was so I above mean- that shit. <laughs> Oh, yeah. And, of course, she also had to teach, I think, like, a lot of the essentials, like, history classes where, like, the, you know, the ruffians go. So she was always just, like, pretty cool, even though, because she was used to being, like, exasperated all the time. And uh, even though, you know, as we're about to describe, Dan and I get up to hijinks in this class, uh, she in general liked us and liked the class. She was a very good lady. And uh, it's just the material was so dumb and dry. So to spice it up, like, Dan, give us, uh, what what would an average day sound? like so this is something that sam and i quote to this day where it was a lot of like i will divide the room into three groups you are a wealthy republican district from northern virginia you are a poor white southerner from northern tennessee and you are new york yeah and she would go by rows which is really important because our row only had three people our row is always you and me because it was by alphabetical order and then this other kid named like drew who really was like not trying to hang out with us like i don't think he liked us very much and we really didn't like him either you know i memory of him like ranting about acorn i think he was like pro james <laughs> o'keefe yeah he was like a libertarian uh he was which i, I always find jewish libertarians like a little annoying just I, I, in general i find jews that don't agree with me politically annoying because i'm like shouldn't we have like a similar experience but at the same rate uh he was yeah pretty like just and he always wanted to start an argument in the class as well. Like he he, he was uh, he was talkative, but in our group discussions, we mostly shut him out and would just uh, come up with proposals that were complete. Like she would always be like, "You're a wealthy district in this country, so you have to uh, come up with your plan for uh, food subsidies." And we would just what would we put like weenie roast immediately on yeah, everything. That was our prescription. Was we essentially said you have a weenie roast and everything is going to be better i mean this class is with my clashes with my current vegetarianism but either way we uh even then we understood the power of solidarity and just community living uh and hopefully that informed where we've come today hopefully we learned something from dr lenny's class i at least got to miss out on some like boring politics classes even though i didn't even end up being a political science major so i gained something 
Yeah, I definitely enjoyed that more than the international politics class I took my first semester of college, which it's all just fucking statistics and like it, it, it didn't. Yeah, it didn't jive with me like the study of political science. Yeah, it's all very like uh, divorced from, I guess, uh, any kind of like human concerns and sort of like I, I was also I started college as a politics like major and I just found it so dry and like divorced from any kind of like useful measure. Uh, it's all about, like you said, like models or uh just things that don't really ref- translate well into like the human experience or explain like the way people think or how so they I react g- to certain things. So I guess where would you say the radicalization came? Because I think it was, I think it was when we realized that if we said outlandish things that she'd find them funny. Oh yeah. I mean, I think that uh, we always searched for proposals that would even make, you know, she, our, she, our teacher was pretty hippie dad. She had like the long hair. You could tell she was on the left, but uh, we would always try. I feel like I would usually try to post like pretty far left ideas to try to like try to get her uh, a rise out of her or at least to piss off, uh, you know, Drew in our group because he would always like come up with just bizarre like libertarian shit or try to make bad jokes or whatever else he was trying to do. Yeah, and there was that time you tried to make him wear a Santa hat, and he got really mad. <laughs> yeah, he shoved me in front of the whole class. I think she was talking, and I just turned around and like put it on his head quickly. He jumps up and just shoves me. The whole class like stared at him. I I couldn't stop laughing. Sam, you committed physical assault in high school. <laughs> oh God, that damn it! Hat. We got you. We got him, folks. the uh the paddy wagon's coming well i guess we'll have to end the episode here as i'm carted off to jail there you have it folks um anything any final words on that story (laughs) uh donate to my kickstarter to or no not kickstarter donate to my gofundme so i can get out of jail please uh i'll post the link in the show notes i do want to say there uh, i've forgot to mention we'll just do these like in quick succession there were a couple of other pop culture stories we wanted to talk about um alec baldwin's gonna return to saturday Night live this year because i guess everybody fucking wants that right <laughs> who whom amongst us does not desire a return of the illustrious baldwin impression of trump and the funniest part of that whole mess which we've gone up we talked about at length is (laughs) that baldwin acts like it's some sort of like burden that that like this that he is like this warrior who is going out and like 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 begrudgingly like taking trump down a notch every week when like in reality it's just the most mediocre sketch comedy yeah he acts like he's like george washington just you know, turning down the mantle of king, but reluctantly accepting the presidency of the United States. Like it's, he really feels that way. And this is this is crucial, folks. Alec Baldwin blocked me on Twitter. Hell yeah! What were you doing right to get blocked by Alec Baldwin? I have no idea when it happened. I have shat on him in the past, and I've been very pro James Adomian. 
And I know Baldwin and James Adomian were feuding one day. And maybe I um, <laughs> maybe I pissed him off then. Yeah. I mean, uh, it makes sense for Adomian and Baldwin to be feuding because Baldwin really doesn't like, like, you know, any kind of gay person, apparently. Yeah. And he even, Adomian has spoken about how SNL, like, never hires gay men, which is, uh, like, there has been, I think, two in the history of the show. And then Damn. Alec Baldwin tweeted something to the effect of, well, that's because not all of them were out gay. And it's oh. like, that's the problem. <laughs> like, Oh, my God. <laughs> what an idiot. That guy's such a fucking idiot. I, I can't believe that people think he has, like, anything to contribute, uh, you know, since, like, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. <laughs> hey, hey, hey. Jack Donaghy is one of the greatest television characters no, I don't know. He's he's great in like the the departed too. He's obviously a good actor. But uh oh, here's another one. JK Rowling <laughs> has a new uh, is this a new book? Uh, and yes. the the villain of the story is an anti-Semitic, anti-Israel guy. Yeah, a far left like anti-Zionist. So, this book is called Lethal White. <laughs> <laughs> Which I, I don't know what that refers to. <laughs> as opposed to the non-lethal white people, I mean, I don't know. We're pretty, uh, we're pretty ruthless as far as races go. But uh, either way, it's the fourth installment in her Cormoran Strike mystery series, which she writes under the pen name Robert Gal- Galbraith. And uh, yeah, the uh, some of the enemies are uh, a pair of hard left political activists who believe that Zionists are evil. Um, it includes a lot of stuff like like it goes into, I guess, uh, the article that I found this out from in Haaretz goes into like how she's become like this bizarre kind of like self-appointed um, like defender of Israel in the UK. She's very concerned about like jeremy corbyn's ties to like you know pro bds organizations or like the fact that he doesn't think that all palestinians are like terrorists intent on destroying israel it's funny because rowling literally created one of the most anti-semitic thing like pop culture items of the last like few decades with these gringotts bank goblins (laughs) Literally hook-nosed goblins that are, like, burrow underground and fucking store gold. They're, like, investors. And, like, like, literally, like, Grip Hook is just, like, a thief. Oh, yeah. So it's just, it's, (laughs) to have her, like, on her high horse about, uh, you know, being pro-Israel is just, that's that's really rich. Yeah, I mean, in general, like, uh, Harry Potter's racial politics are dog shit. I mean, they literally have, like, oppressed magical creatures, and uh, they have the awful Jewish stereotype you mentioned with the Gringotts goblins. I'm not sure that I uh, understand why J.K. Rowling has, like, taken this as her kind of, uh, you know, battle, but... Either way, uh, you can look forward to Lethal White, the uh, mystery novel with the anti-Semitics that you love to hate. Oh, and finally, folks, there will be a television series called Chasing Hillary. Of course there will. Because we all need to relive Hillary Clinton's journey over and over and over again. 
Yeah, I mean, the one thing that I wish I had seen more television coverage of was the 2016 election. <laughs> that really, uh, <laughs> that really flew under the radar. All right, cast Bernie and Hillary and Trump right now. Okay, uh, Bernie Sanders. And don't say uh, like Larry David or any any you know. Don't give me an easy answer. Okay, Bernie Sanders, uh, Rob Reiner. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Hillary Clinton. um, Fuck. I mean, I think Amy Poehler has to be Hillary Clinton. Yeah, she she would fit. She fits the bill. Uh, Who else do you want to cast, Dan? We've got... Who are some of the others, like, power players? Give me... Who's your Trump? Look, I think... Well, Trump's a boring question. I, I would be shocked if you don't get a Meryl Streep as Hillary Clinton before Meryl dies. Oh, hell yeah. That's totally going to happen. Like, there will be a maybe like a Spielberg movie where Tom Hanks and Meryl Streep, like, Hanks is John Podesta. <laughs> oh, my God. M- more Michael Moore talked to John Podesta in the movie, and Podesta even said that Obama drinking the water, he was like, I don't know who told him to do that, but... <laughs> <laughs> we oh fucked up man even john podesta thinks he fucked up <laughs> like one of the one of the all-time dudes who fucks up like hard um i mean geez i i, I don't know what we're why people feel the need to like put on the small screen this 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 is a, an adaptation of a book by you know uh, New York Times journalist Amy Chozik, and it, it's like this attempt to act like losing the presidency to Trump was actually just like a fun journey, and we made so many friends along the way. <laughs> and as if there is this nobility, this like heroic side to her narrative when in reality it was all just like hubris and like <laughs> failure i mean and i'm not saying there's not a market for this because clearly there is oh yeah there's a million people like amber tamblin who i saw an unearthed tweet from her where she was literally talking about i've got my copy of hillary's book my vibrator and yeah. like a glass of wine oh too many details for like it, the internet yeah, she was calling out uh, these, like, leftist organizers, calling them, like, liberal proud boys. And then people kept yeah. pulling up the fact that her husband, David Cross, was tight with Gavin McInnes. So. Yeah, the literal founder of the fucking Proud Boys, like, the exact organization she's mentioning. I mean, yeah, that's a joke. And also, er, uh, in regards to her tweet about masturbating and watch and reading Hillary Clinton's book, there's nothing wrong with female masturbation. There's nothing wrong with any kind of masturbation. But doing it to Hillary Clinton's book is bizarre. And uh, that's what this article about the um, or, or the New York Times review about the Chasing Hillary book does. It likens it to the devil wears Prada meets boys on the bus. And uh, New York Magazine called uh, Chasing Hillary a kind of Bridget Jones diary meets what it takes coming of age rom-com set on the campaign trail oh my god what a fucking (sighs) nightmare because it's just so it's gonna be just so goddamn like revisionist like it's (laughs) not gonna deal with like you just already know what this show is gonna be like Okay, I'm revising what I said earlier. They're going to cast the um, Gringotts Goblin to play (laughs) Bernie Sanders, actually. (laughs) Oh, my God. And let's see, Trump? 
Maybe they could like throw some prosthetics on like Rob Lowe or something. <laughs> That'd be pretty funny. Uh, John Rhys Davies. Oh yeah, classic. Uh, he played Gimli, of course, in Lord of the Rings. Yeah, he's in the Indiana Jones movies. Yeah, I think he's, he he could do it. Um, well, with that, I think we can uh, wrap up the show. And remember, people, we need you to rate and review. If you take two seconds and write a review, we will shout it out on the show. If you write a review on iTunes, because that makes more people see the show in their fucking shitty algorithms. So if you can do that for us, if you enjoy the show, that would be much appreciated. Um, again, we will be... I mean, this, this Brett Kavanaugh story is not going away, and I'm genuinely unsure of how it's going to play out. Yeah, there's a lot of ways it could go. I mean, none of them are good. We're not getting, like, like so many people are like, we're finally going to get Merrick Garland on the Supreme Court. <laughs> it's like, Even come on. He wasn't that great. Come on. How can you think of Merrick Garland in a time like this? I prefer... This random moderate Obama only chose because Orrin Hatch liked him. And he, it didn't work. He was like, oh, I'll pick a boring guy and they'll confirm him. No, they won't. They don't pick anyone you pick. Michael Moore in the movie played, and again, this impressed me a lot. He played a reel of every time, like not every time, but like of a bunch of times when the Democrats during the Obama years said the word compromise. And it was like, Uh, he did one of those things where it's like, it's a split screen of two and then four. And then it's like a hundred of them saying like compromise all at once. (laughs) I mean, people need to see that people need to see why people like us like criticize the idea of bipartisanship or the way it's like used in between two political parties. There's no bipartisanship with like the far right. They don't care about you. And, I think we've we've gone over a lot today about the degree to which conservatives don't give a shit about these sort of like values and stuff like how conservatives you can't apply these sort of like how dare you sir shit to conservatives cuz it they don't care they're they're gonna like they're gonna vote to make it so that there is no access to safe uh, a legal abortion but they're gonna still drug their mistresses uh with abortion pills like that's like a microcosm for the whole goddamn thing yeah it's about them getting what they want there's nothing like they, they don't care about any of these like higher values it's and even if they like in their heart of hearts do that's not borne out on their actions and they're never gonna have that kind of impact on the world so don't get on board with that shit don't be fooled like just fucking resist them And Trump's dick is a toadstool. And I'd like to say Toad was always my favorite character in Mario Kart. So I took offense to having to associate that with Trump's penis. Yeah, I mean, Nintendo characters have been getting it um, a lot this year. I mean, Luigi's literally dead. As we saw, he was killed by the Grim Reaper for the in the promo for Super Smash Bros. And uh yeah, I mean, these guys have become contentious issues, so for this to be thrown out there, I mean, it's just a hell of a year for Nintendo. Absolutely, and that'll do it for us. One more time, I'm Dan Spaventa, and my co-host is... It's Sam Wagstaff. And thanks for listening, and again, rate, review on iTunes, and subscribe. We're on Stitcher, SoundCloud, and 
uh, iTunes, and if you need me to upload it to any other app, I'm perfectly willing to do so. But obviously, we got that RSS feed. You can listen anywhere. Um, Folks, that'll do it. Goodbye. Bye.